we're not going to get peace, go get them. So what is an electric car maker and space entrepreneur and serial father supposed to do in his copious free time? Well, how about bring peace to Europe? Hey, everybody, I'm Steve Green with Bill Whittle and Scott Odd, and this is Right Angle, brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. And you know what, gentlemen, before I start, quick reminder for all of our viewers, if you've got a like button or a thumbs up button or a notification button, punch it, punch it, punch it now. Seriously, it, it helps keep us on the air. And if you've been watching these for free, you might want to think about becoming a member of BillWhittle.com. You can visit and do that today. Anyway, uh, gentlemen, uh, Elon Musk has a plan for peace in, in Europe. And as these things are done these days, he put it on Twitter. And I'm just going to read you the Elon Musk peace proposal for Ukraine and Russia. It, it, it's only four points. He calls it the Ukraine-Russia peace. Redo elections of annexed regions under U.N. supervision. Russia leaves if that is the will of the people. Crimea, formerly part of Russia, as it has been since 1783 until Khrushchev's mistake. You can look that up later if you need to. Uh, water supply to Crimea assured. That seems like an important point. And Ukraine remains neutral. In other words, doesn't become a part of NATO. And that's it. Those are all four points. It seems pretty simple. Um, Scott, there's just one little problem. Well, two little problems. Uh, the first was the Ukraine response. Uh, their official response involved an F-bomb or two. Uh, they want their whole country back, and that includes Crimea as they see it. And the other problem is Vladimir Putin, who has pretty much invested his entire regime on this war and keeping these illegally annexed territories in Ukraine's east. And Scott, I hate to break this to you, but you're the closest thing we have to a diplomat on this crew. What would you do... <laughs> And I mean no insult by that either. Uh, the State Department no. guys, then I mean it as an insult. Um, how would you bring these two gentlemen to the peace negotiating table where neither one of them has been for this entire war? I'm assuming you mean Zelensky and Putin, not uh, yes. Musk and Putin or Musk and Zelensky. Zelensky and Putin, yes. Okay, thank you. Just <laughs> Uh, there are not a whole lot of gentlemen to be had in this whole situation here. Um, no. You know, I, I thought it was interesting that he added, uh, you know, Russia leaves if that is the will of the people. Like, which people are you talking about there? Which <laughs> which people have, uh, have the interest of saying Russia leaves? I think that is the will of the people of Ukraine. It may not be the will of the people uh, under Vladimir Putin's sway. Um, you know, uh, number one... He, Elon Musk, who is brilliant and has done many fantastic things and who I uh, respect and admire for his uh, accomplishments, also suffers this disease of because he's so brilliant and has a billion thoughts every day, he feels like he needs to share the rest of the, the, rest of the world, needs to hear his thoughts. Um, some things he really needs to keep to himself. I don't think he has a real concept of the the impact that his statements have. It's like presidents who say things just off the cuff and don't realize, oh, wait a minute. You mean people take this stuff seriously? Um, he is CEO of several companies that have stockholders and sometimes he just needs to be quiet. Um, number two, I think you can't solve this problem from the outside. I mean, I think we have an obligation as the United States to protect our own interests and protect those of our allies from the outside uh, to insulate ourselves from any harm that may come from that. 
But ultimately, if you've got a, a border dispute um, or a land dispute between two countries, uh, that solution is going to have to rise up from within somehow. Now, there may be a third party moderator that steps in and is an honest broker, but I don't think Putin sees the United States as an honest broker, and I doubt anybody sees Elon Musk as one. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, it's it's like so many things in, in international diplomacy. We think, well, that the, the solution seems obvious to me. But I would remind any man watching this program that if your wife is telling you about a problem, the solution is not obvious and you should keep your mouth shut just like Elon Musk. <laughs> Uh, I've been married for 20 years and golly, I have no idea what you're talking about there, Scott. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it there. Uh, Bill, there are a couple of cases to be made here on uh, uh, peace at the negotiating table versus peace on the battlefield. Uh, on the one side, Ukraine was invaded. And I, I don't like bullies. So there's the case to be made that as long as Ukraine is winning and in the last uh, few weeks, wow, have they made some big wins. In fact, the Russian position throughout all of Ukraine is looking increasingly untenable. On the other side of the equation, you have a country with more nuclear weapons than any other country in the world. Uh, where do you fall on that line? Where do you think we should go from here as Ukraine scores battlefield win after battlefield win? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, during the Civil War, uh, and you know this, Steve, because we're history buffs, uh, the, uh, in the election of 1864, Lincoln's uh, re-election, the Democratic uh, candidate was um, George McClellan, who had been a general at the beginning of the war and uh, fired by Lincoln. And the Democratic Party platform for 1864 was the Constitution as is and the Union as it was. And basically mm. what the Democrats were saying is, come on back, Confederacy, we'll just act like the whole thing didn't happen. And uh, and let's just go back to what we had before all the shooting started. The problem is, is that the shooting had started and there was an awful lot of blood on the ground and you don't go back to that. It's not a question now of, of ration, rationality or reason, assuming even, I'm necessarily not making the case that that was a reasonable argument, but even if it had been, it's not even a quite, look, it's, it's not like I'm saying that we should do irrational things because our blood is up, but when somebody has come into your country and killed an awful lot of your people, destroyed your cities and so on, that doesn't incline me to want to believe them and, uh, and, to, and to come to a reasonable solution. But since you asked, uh, it's not just a question of the historical uh, provenance of, uh, of Crimea. <clears throat> One of the big problems in the world, as you know, is that during the 20th century, there was an awful lot of statesmen writing lines on maps and saying this is going to be this country and that's going to be that country without any regard to the cultural and the and the, and the uh, genetic differences and the, and the racial differences and the religious differences and so on. So if you look at a map of, of uh, the, the southern Russia and the Black Sea, you realize that Crimea, to, to call that Ukrainian territory is, is nuts. It's, 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 just, it's just not, right? So nevertheless, that is a bargaining chip. It did belong to Crimea. It was taken from them by force. So if it were up to me, if I was Zelensky, I would say, look, here's what we're going to do. If you want my proposal, here's my proposal. All Russian troops out of Ukrainian borders, including the four disputed territories like Donbass, all of you back to the pre-invasion line, 
those territories are now ours. And if there's any Russian uh, supporters who live in those territories, territories, we'll help them pack and they can, they can move to Russia. But one thing that I, that I think that I would say if I was Zelensky and I personally would say if it were just me is I'm not going to reward the destruction of this country, the murder of all these people and all of this aggression. I'm not going to reward you by giving you these territories back. I'm sorry. No. Um, I'm not going to do that. I would trade Ukraine for the for the four um, contested territories. I'd go back Crimea. to the pre-war lines. I'm sorry. Yes, excuse me. Sorry. I trade Crimea for the for the uh, the contested test uh, territories in um, eastern Ukraine, and I would say we're going back to our pre-invasion. Uh, borders. That's my best offer. Now, if you excuse me, I'm going to go help the rest of the millions of people start digging uh, millions of mines along this border. And um, and we'll, we'll wait till next time. As far as NATO goes, you know, um, I don't see any reason why, if I was the president of Ukraine, and, and somebody had said to me that, well, the West will assure your security going forward. I wouldn't put a penny's worth of of uh, of uh, confidence on that. At the dissolution of the of the Soviet Union, the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, as it seceded and became Ukraine, had in its possession a number of nuclear weapons that were on Ukrainian territory at the time the Soviet Union dissolved. And in the interest of nuclear nonproliferation, the United States government basically said to Ukraine. Give up your weapons, give them, give the nuclear weapons back to Russia to be destroyed, presumably. And in exchange for you giving up the nuclear weapons that you now have in your hands, we will provide you with an ironclad guarantee of your security against any further Russian aggression. And we've all seen how well that promise has paid out. So if I'm Ukraine, I'm saying I'm not going to put the future of my country on any promises uh, now. If I was a member of NATO, that's a promise I could I could actually respect, and I think I think they should apply. And personally, personally, I think they should they should be admitted. And the reason I think they should be admitted is because Russian expansionism is the historical backbone of of Russia's policy. This idea of saying that we're surrounded by enemies and we need buffer states to protect us is how they annexed Poland. It's how they basically built the entire Soviet Union. You got Belarus, Ukraine, uh, Poland, all of these places to protect the the Rodina, the motherland. But what it really is, is a territory grab. And and, and, And I personally think that anytime you reward dictators with with for their acts of aggression, you are simply providing incentive for them to do it again. And so that's what my uh, that's what my proposal would be. We keep the Donbass and these other uh, territories. You can have the Ukraine. We don't want. Uh, ter- sorry, you can have Crimea. We don't want it. And um, and we're applying for NATO. And we're building it. We're going to put up a couple hundred million mines on this border because we're we're already aware of what a Russian promise for territorial integrity is all about. Yeah, not not worth a whole lot. You know, I, I love it in foreign policy when interests dovetail and they just uh, align and work out in an easy way. And a good example of that is our relationship with communist China. The bigger a bully China becomes, the less we want to do business with them and the stronger we want our our friendships and the economies of other countries in 
in East Asia and Southeast Asia to be. And it works out really well because as China becomes the worst place to do business, companies uh, start moving their factories out of China into places like Vietnam and India and makes those countries stronger relative to China. And it draws them closer to us. It's sort of in a natural alliance because we have no territorial designs on, on Vietnam or Japan or South Korea. They want to align with us the worse that uh, Beijing behaves. And that's great. That's easy. We don't have that, unfortunately, when it comes to Ukraine. We have we have two interests in this war that don't align. They don't dovetail at all. The first is you want to punish the aggressor. You want to keep you want to arm Ukraine so to the teeth that the Russians come back so bloody and bruised that they don't want to try that again for at least another generation, hopefully longer or even forever. The second is we don't want the war to escalate. We want it to be as short as possible. So on the one hand, we want a punishing war. On the other hand, we want a short war. And those interests don't align. I've been saying for uh, arguing at Vodka Pundit for months now that there needs to be a peace process here, that, that the Biden administration, if they weren't complete idiots, spoiler, they're complete idiots, would be pursuing a two-track policy. One, keep Ukraine armed to punish Russia for the aggression. Two, have open peace talks in order to draw this thing to a close. And of course, we're just getting one and not the other because, well, we're ruled by idiots. That said, I don't know how this ends, but I do know that after that Kharkiv offensive uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is now going into uh, Donetsk and even Luhansk now, and what we're seeing going on in uh, Kursan against the uh, the right bank of the Dnipro River is just amazing. I can't believe how well Ukraine is performing these last few weeks. So all I can say is, if we're not going to get peace, go get them. That's your right angle on that, brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time. 